calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. A cubicle farm. That's a phrase that gets tossed around by people who don't really seem to mind that it implies they're just livestock, either getting milked or fattened up for slaughter. They don't recognize the similarities between themselves and a pig spending its day in a pen, unable to run, just sitting and eating and crapping its way through life. The only difference is the pig gets to take a nap whenever it wants. I suppose us pencil pushers do have one advantage over swine. We get to cruise through our mind-numbing days with a little caffeine steam engine chugging in our brains. The coffee pot is an oasis. No, it's a town square. It's where people go to feel like humans for a few short minutes, instead of like keyboard monkeys. I know the monkey thing breaks out of the farm analogy, but it summarizes how I feel about my job the best. I feel like a monkey trained to operate my computer, which, let's be honest, is what does the real work. Without that computer, I wouldn't be much good at data analysis, and if I could do it on my own, I'd probably be working at NASA instead of Z-Web Technologies. You know, I probably shouldn't have mentioned where I work in this story. I bet I just opened myself up for a lawsuit if anybody I know hears this. Oh well. A stuffy courtroom will be an exciting change of pace. I suppose the office did have a couple of exciting days back in September. The first was a Friday, the holiest of weekdays. I was slumped in front of my screen, analyzing data and creating work for my chiropractor when I heard a thump in the neighboring cubicle. That's the one where Lisa Sato processes customer complaints. I had always enjoyed Lisa. She had a sunny disposition that was only occasionally overcast by a particularly brutal customer. Some people seemed to think Lisa was the magical Z-Web fairy who waves her shimmering wand and fixes all of their problems. 
When they received anything less than that, they took it out on her personally. I'm sure that can't be fun, but I have to admit there are days when it sounds far more exciting than my own job. Needing to stretch my legs anyway, I stood and walked around the divider to check on Lisa. You good in here, Sato? I asked. A lot of us use each other's last names like we're high school football players. I guess it's our way of sounding casual. Sato, Lisa, didn't respond. She had rested her head on her desk in front of her blank computer screen. I listened for the steady whir of her computer's cooling fan, but it sounded like her whole system had been shut off. She must have gotten a doozy of a complaint, I had thought. If you're having a problem with your system, I could go grab Tim. IT's right by the break room, and I was going for a coffee anyway, I said. Lisa's head snapped up at the mention of Tim Packard from IT. Our mutual disdain for the man was at the foundation of Lisa and I's friendship. Poor Tim, it wasn't his fault. He was born with one leg shorter than the other and has to walk with a sort of rocking motion. I'll admit, some of us are guilty of referring to him as Tiny Tim, like the little crippled boy in A Christmas Carol. Cruel, I know. If he catches you up and about, he'll always start up a conversation and make you walk next to him at his excruciating pace. He mostly talks about things that don't interest you in the slightest. It's like the guy deliberately studies subjects no one else could ever care about. Do you know how a city's altitude relative to sea level affects its water pressure? I do, thanks to Tim. And you know what? I could probably look past those things, particularly the physical problems he can't help, if Tim was actually competent at his job. Please don't, Lisa groaned at the mention of Tim. I had expected a more animated reaction, but I figured Lisa was tired. There she is, I said, smiling. Why is your computer off? The weekend doesn't start for... I checked my watch. 57 minutes. Lisa turned to her blank screen, then back to me. She looked confused. At first I thought she was messing with me, but then she reached under the desk, hit the power button on her computer, and turned to me again with her narrow face scrunched even tighter. I I don't know, she said. I don't remember shutting it off. Maybe you bumped the power button, I suggested. Yeah, maybe. Something in Lisa's voice sounded worn out. Not just tired, the way most of us feel by the end of the week, but used up. It sounded like her vocal cords were rubbing on sandpaper. I wondered if she was getting sick. You're okay, though? Like, you feel alright? The look on Lisa's face told me she didn't, but she said, Yes, I'm fine. Guess I just spaced out. Good thing the week's almost over. Yeah, good thing, I agreed. Well, I'm going to go grab that cup of coffee, or else I'll have to take a nap when I get home and miss out on a perfectly good Friday evening. Mm Mm-hmm, Lisa distractedly hummed. I waited a second to see if she would say anything more, realized she wouldn't, and headed to the break room. Of course, Tim was pouring the last drops of coffee into his own mug when I got there. Oh, hey, Martins, he said, using my last name the way I mentioned before. Sorry, I didn't realize anyone would want more coffee this late. Want me to start a new pot? No, that's fine, I said, even though it was anything but fine. I don't want a whole pot to go to waste. Aw, man, I'm sorry, but hey, at least the week's almost over. You hear about the new Discovery Plus documentary about almond farms? Almond farms? I echoed, politely feigning interest. No, somehow that one slipped under my radar. Well, it started streaming this morning. I'm going to catch it tonight. You should watch it and maybe we can discuss it on Monday. 
Tim's enthusiasm for that documentary made me wonder if he actually found his job quite thrilling. I mean, the man couldn't have a high threshold for excitement. Before I could get myself wrapped in conversation, I escaped with a quick, well, see you Monday. I habitually glanced in each cubicle I passed on the way back. Most of my coworkers were sitting in front of their email or a spreadsheet, but were looking down in their laps at the screens there. When I passed Lisa's cube, she had her head down on her desk again. Sato? I called, sort of apprehensively. I'm not exactly a superhero in a crisis, and I was worried Lisa might be really sick or crying about something important. She wasn't. When I said her name, she shot upright and turned to me with a delayed smile. Yes? she asked. You had your head down again, just wanted to make sure you're all right. Oh, thanks, she said. She didn't sound mad, but definitely a little frustrated at being disturbed. Her computer was still off, though, and I didn't see a pale glow coming from her lap. Hey, you know, if you want to sneak out of here a little early, I won't tell, I offered. Go ahead and get a jump on the weekend. Lisa seemed to brush the idea off and swiveled back towards her blank screen. Then she put her feet down hard on the flat, level-loop carpet and spun back around. She had her eyes narrowed at me like a tiger centering its focus on a fresh victim. What if someone comes looking for me? She asked. I shrugged. I'll just say you had to go to the bathroom. There's less than an hour before quitting time. The odds of anyone looking for you are pretty low. Lisa didn't respond, but her hands started searching for her things and sliding them into her purse under her desk. I'll see you Monday, Sato, I said. With a quick pat on the inner wall of her cubicle, I returned to my own cube to impatiently wait out the clock. I heard Lisa's keys jingle as she got up and quietly snuck to the elevator. If she really didn't want to get caught, she should have taken the stairs but I suppose going down 12 stories on foot would have defeated the entire purpose of quitting work early to relax. Almost as soon as I heard the elevator doors close, Shane Liggett knocked on my wall. Shane is the VP of Customer Relations and my direct supervisor. I knew it was him before I even spun my chair around. He always knocks the same way. A sharp ta-ta-ta. Instantly, I assumed I was in trouble. What can I do you for, Mr. Liggett? I asked, using the goofy expression I had heard a million times and never understood. Is Lisa gone? Shane asked. He must have noticed my eyes widen. Listen, I don't care where she went. I just need to know if she's coming back, he said. I think that's unlikely, sir. Okay. Shane seemed to struggle with his own mouth for a minute. His lips twisted and slid across his teeth. His nose wrinkled and he looked down before asking... Did she seem okay to you? Notice anything out of character? Not wanting to wrap my coworker out for sitting in front of a blank screen for the last hour of the day, I lied. She seemed fine to me. Maybe a little worn out, but hey, it's Friday, aren't we all? Shane gave a shallow nod and, still not looking up, took a couple of steps into my cubicle. He said, Listen, Joel, we just found out Lisa's brother jumped in front of a train this morning. I can't believe she came to work at all. Whoa, was all I could say for a moment. It took me a moment to process any deeper thoughts. Does she know? Do you think... Well, is it possible no one's told her yet? Shane shook his head no. He pulled his phone out of his pocket and showed me the screen. He had his Facebook feed open, and in the middle was an article from the Herald with the headline, Local Man Dies at Conway Rail Station. The preview text said, 
Surveillance video taken from the scene depicts Paul Sato throwing himself in front of an oncoming dot dot dot. It's been in the local news all day, Shane said, but this is the weird part. He touched the screen where the number of reactions to the post was displayed. It pulled up a list of everyone who had reacted to the article about Paul Sato. I couldn't believe it when Shane scrolled down a little and showed me Lisa Sato's name and photo in the list. She hadn't just absently clicked like, and she hadn't used the crying emoji to react either. She had selected the pink heart, which is commonly called loving the post. Lisa had loved the article about her brother's apparent suicide. Well, that's concerning, I admitted. I found myself wondering if I had made a huge mistake by telling Lisa to leave. What was her emotional condition? What might she do between now and Monday morning? Something wasn't right with her. Aloud, I said, maybe she meant she loved her brother? Yeah, well, I wouldn't worry too much about it right now, Shane said. I've already sent an email to HR and asked them to extend the company's condolences and remind Lisa about the counseling services employees have access to. Professionally, there's not much else I can do. All right. Want me to let you know if I hear anything else about this? I asked. Sure, Shane replied. Have a good weekend, Joel. I'd be lying if I said I thought of Lisa much over the weekend. The story about her brother came into my newsfeed a couple of times, but besides that, I can't say the Sados occupied many of my thoughts. I considered texting her to offer my condolences, which I thought she might appreciate more than the company's, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just couldn't understand what Shane had shown me. Why had Lisa loved that article? When I returned to the office on Monday, I wasn't sure what I would do when I saw Lisa. Should I mention her brother, or leave it alone? What if she had hated her brother and was glad he was dead? That could be a rational, if dark, explanation for why she didn't seem upset at work or why she had loved the article. Her head down on her desk, her computer being turned off. All of the strange behavior could have just been the result of her wrestling with emotions she knew were a little messed up. Tim happened to be the first person I saw Monday morning. He limped to the elevator just before the doors shut. I pressed the number 12, and up we went. How was your weekend, Tim? I asked. Fine. Did you watch it? Watch what? Tim's face contorted into a look of... disgust, I suppose. Or surprise? You never really know with Tim. Prunus amygdalus? He said. If not for the Latin, he would have sounded like a bratty teenager as he spat the words at me. I didn't even bother to hide my confusion. The Almond documentary, don't you remember? You said you would watch it so we could talk about it today. Ah, I vaguely remember you mentioning that, but I definitely don't remember saying I would watch it. How was it, though? Tim looked hurt, but unsurprised. You may think I'm cruel, but all of us had to learn at some point not to bow to Tim's whims. He can actually be a bit of a bully if you let him. Yes, and it was just as fascinating as I had hoped. I even had a dream that I was an almond farmer afterwards. Neat, I said, watching the numbers over the door go up. Seven. Eight. Yeah, Lisa was there too, Tim said. I turned to him with genuine interest. Lisa watched the movie with you? I asked, figuring I must have misunderstood. No, she was in my dream, Tim replied. It was pretty weird. 
She didn't say or do anything, she just stood and watched everything I did. I kind of figured she was supposed to be my supervisor or something like that. Was anyone else you know in your dream? I asked. Sorry, you weren't there if that's what you're wondering. Maybe you would have been if you had actually watched the doc like you promised. I rolled my eyes. I don't think that's how it... The elevator doors opened and Tim stepped in front of me, raising his arm and showing me the back of his hand. I know how dreams work, he said, again sounding like a brat. I shook my head and smiled at my shoes. I smiled not only out of amusement, but also because I had just decided how I would break the ice with Lisa. She loved hearing about goofy interactions with Tim. Lisa didn't get to work until almost nine, a half an hour later than usual. I heard her enter her cubicle, set down her bag, and start to get settled. Her movements sounded too aggressive. The way she was bumping and thumping her way around sounded like a warning to leave her alone. Twice, I heard her drop something on the floor and slam her fist down in frustration. I opted to save my Tim story for later. Around ten, Shane came by. As he made his rounds, he tossed casual greetings into each cubicle. Morning. Welcome back. Happy Monday. If he could remember the name of the employee he was greeting, he would throw that in too. I heard his feet scuff the carpet as they came to a stop by Lisa's cube. I heard Shane say, good more, then cut himself off hard and keep walking. I didn't get a friendly greeting. He walked right into my cubicle and leaned forward with his hands on my desk. You talk to Lisa today? He whispered. I raised an eyebrow and shook my head. Shane bit the corner of his lower lip and looked down at my desk. Something's not right, he mumbled. I should probably... Let me talk to her, I offered. I didn't really want to, but I was sure Lisa would prefer my efforts over Shane's. I'll find out what's up and let you know. Shane remained still for a moment, his lips still curled under his teeth, before nodding curtly and standing up straight. He clamped a heavy hand on my shoulder, patted it once, and left me alone. I stood, stretched, and walked around the divider to see Lisa. Her computer was on this time, but she didn't have any windows displayed. Just her desktop, which was still set to the default background like most of the computers around the office. Lisa was staring into the screen as if she had some crucial bit of work in front of her, though. Her purse lay on its side at her feet. Its contents had fallen onto the floor. I nearly stepped on a lipstick that had rolled all the way across her cubicle. Her water bottle lay on its side, open, on her desk, a small puddle beneath it. Fortunately, it seemed the bottle hadn't been full. Lisa appeared disheveled as well. A cowlick stood up on her head, and I couldn't be 100% certain, but I was pretty sure she hadn't changed her clothes since Friday. I thought I recognized the cardigan around her shoulders, although it had been much less wrinkled the last time I had seen it. And worse, I could smell her. Her whole cubicle had the sour odor of an unwashed armpit. What's up, Sato? I asked, trying to sound normal, friendly. She gasped and stiffened. For a moment, I didn't think she was going to respond, but then her chair slowly spun around. Not to sound paranoid, but I didn't see her push the chair at all. It just turned. Rough weekend? I asked, gesturing to the mess on her floor. She encountered my concern with a void stare. Fine, how about you? She asked. Uh, it was alright, I said. I totally forgot I had promised Tim I'd watch a documentary about almonds, though. Normal Lisa would have laughed at this and said something like, 
tell me more. But this Lisa, this smelly, hollow shell, didn't react at all. She just said, that's too bad, and her chair turned back to her computer. With her back to me, I didn't bother hiding my confusion. I'm no psychologist, but I could put two and two together. Two and two meaning her brother's suicide and her current demeanor. I decided to go for broke. Hey, I was really sorry to hear about your brother. There's no good way to lose somebody, but that's got to be at the bottom of the list. Lisa stiffened again as if I had literally struck a nerve. This time, she did not turn around. I continued. Anyway, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. But you know, I'm sure HR has all that covered already, right? I tried the joke as a spontaneous attempt to break through, but it bounced off Lisa and landed dead on the floor next to her open wallet. I gave up and returned to my desk. I didn't hear Lisa move again until lunch. She rustled around in her purse and withdrew something that, from the sound of it, was wrapped in butcher paper. I heard the paper crinkle as she unwrapped it. The sound made me feel hungry, too. I started typing quickly to finish up an email before retrieving my own lunch from the fridge. My hunger was brutally murdered a moment later, as Lisa finished opening her package. A horrific stench immediately filled the air. It smelled like roadkill smothered in moldy cheese. I coughed, then gagged, then heard someone else do the same. I tried to ignore the smell for a couple of minutes, but when I started to taste the bacterial odor on the back of my tongue, I hit my limit. I spun my chair around, angrily planted my feet to give Lisa plenty of warning, and went around the divider to confront her. But when I got around to Lisa's side, I stopped dead and froze. Lisa had her face planted down in a messy heap of greenish meat in the middle of an open package of butcher paper. It looked like raw ground beef that had probably spoiled days before. Her face and hair didn't come up from the toxic pile even once as she devoured it, hands free. I could hear her lips smacking, the uncooked meat squishing and sticking in her jaws. I backed away before she could notice me. Lisa needed help. I wasn't sure what kind or from whom, but I knew beyond any doubt she needed it immediately. I went straight to HR to ask what to do. They sent someone over to speak with Lisa, but found her passed out, asleep, with her head resting in what was left of the ground beef. Before things got any more out of hand, that's the way the HR rep phrased it, they called for an ambulance. I think HR thought Lisa was on drugs or something. I think they were worried about some kind of overdose. I assumed her issue stemmed from a crisis of mental health rather than a substance, but figured the hospital would still be the best place for her. Unfortunately, no one thought to babysit Lisa while we waited for the paramedics. Since there was no active emergency, they didn't come at full speed. By the time they showed up, Lisa had vanished. She left the remainder of her lunch behind. Well, the good news is she's probably going to end up at the hospital anyway if she ate that spoiled meat. Tim said when I ran into him near the end of the day. Yeah, Tim, that's great news, I replied sarcastically. Maybe she... He started in with his obnoxious voice, and I just couldn't take it. Not on that particular afternoon. Tim, you don't have to explain this. You don't have to guess what's wrong with Lisa, and it's probably better if you don't try to, okay? We're all worried about her. Let's just leave it at that. I walked away before he could respond. Those were the last words I ever said to Tim. When I got out of the shower later that night, my phone lit up. 
I have a setting which only allows emails with the high importance indicator to come through outside of work hours, so when I saw the email notification on my screen, I knew it was urgent. I wrapped a towel around my waist and went to the living room to read it. Message to all staff. I am sharing this news with great sadness. Our IT manager, Tim Packard, passed away earlier this evening. Tim served this company for nine years. His death is an unexpected tragedy. Please reach out to HR for information about any counseling you may need. We will pass a condolence card around the office for his family. Sincerely, Shane Liggett, VP of Customer Relations. The vagueness of the email stole any opportunity for grief and left me only with nagging curiosity. Tim had only been 36 or 37. He had seemed to be in perfect health when I left work that afternoon. As far as I know, he didn't have any ongoing health issues. And Shane called his death an unexpected tragedy. To me, this read either accident or suicide. A sour taste rose in my throat as I recalled the last conversation I'd had with Tim. I hadn't been mean per se, but certainly less than friendly. Had Tim been going through a crisis of his own? Had he needed someone to talk to just to get his mind off of whatever was going on with him? Had I shut the door on his chances of making it to Tuesday morning? I did a quick Google search for Tim Packard to see if I found anything. Of course, it was far too soon for an obituary to be published, but I wondered if the news or social media might have any answers for me. I found nothing. I amended my search, striking the name and instead searching for Man Dead Death Local Man Dead Police News. I hoped the jumble of keywords would trigger at least a few results. To my morbid delight, an article posted within the hour appeared at the top of the list. The headline read, One Dead in Bicycle versus Car Collision. I breathed a sigh of relief, releasing tension I hadn't realized I was holding on to. It had just been an accident. A normal, innocent accident. That's what I thought, at least, until I read the first paragraph. A local man was struck and killed this evening on the East Harbor Bridge. Witnesses say the man was riding his bicycle in the oncoming traffic lane at the time of the incident. That didn't add up. Tim, the guy who watched Almond documentaries on the weekend, would never be daredevil enough to ride his bike into oncoming traffic. Had it been a suicide attempt? I kept reading, but the rest of the article just talked about how the man's identity would be kept private pending notification of the family, etc. The odds seemed pretty low that another local man had tragically died around the same time as Tim, though. At the bottom of the article, I saw an embedded video. Above it was written, Edit. CCTV footage of the accident has been leaked to our reporter. The deceased has been blurred to protect his identity. Viewer discretion advised. I hit the play button faster than I probably should have. Looking back, at least a little hesitation would have been more appropriate considering I was about to watch my coworker get killed. But I didn't hesitate, and the video played. The video was only 15 seconds long. Since the bridge camera was in a fixed position, it didn't show much leading up to the impact. I watched as a white blur entered the bottom of the screen, traveling on the opposite side of the road as it should have been. A moment later, a gray sedan appeared, as if out of nowhere, and the white blur went straight up in the air. I saw the bike go over the side of the bridge, and the white blur landed on the road. That's where the video stopped. It wasn't much, but it gave me one more bit of assurance that the biker had been Tim. He had worn his usual white, 
button-up shirt to work that day. I had a glass of whiskey to help me get to sleep that night. It dulled the edges of my thoughts about Lisa and Tim and helped me stop thinking about going into the office in the morning. With those thoughts out of the way, I managed to fall asleep. I was having a dream about work, as usual. There isn't much else in my life to dream about, honestly. In this dream, I was frantically trying to reset an algorithm to analyze some data Shane needed for an important meeting. I felt sweaty and anxious. Suddenly, someone grabbed the back of my chair and spun me around. It was Lisa. She had green ground beef around her mouth and in her hair. A little chunk of meat was stuck in her right nostril, too. When she spoke, her breath smelled like toxic bacteria and rot. He was just a warning, she said. My dream self asked, what are you talking about? What happened to Tim will happen to you if you don't leave Lisa alone. My own consciousness started to bleed into the vision. I was suddenly aware I was dreaming, but also felt like the scene was too real, too tangible to be written off. I could really smell that rotting meat. I could taste it on the back of my tongue. I could feel the hostile threat in Lisa's eyes as they bore into mine. Aren't you Lisa? My dream voice automatically asked. Lisa smiled, but her lips didn't stop where they usually did. They kept spreading, splitting her cheeks so far back I could see her molar showing between them. Her nose flattened, and the little piece of ground beef fell onto the floor at my feet. The whites of her eyes filled up with swirling blood, and her pupils tightened into dilated pinpricks. I woke to the sound of my own voice shouting, It's just a dream! I sat up, panting and wondering. Wondering if the dream had been more than that. Lisa had loved the article about her brother's suicide. Tim's death hadn't been quite so direct, but you could have called his behavior in his final moments suicidal too. Was Lisa... Did she have something to do with their deaths? I slept the rest of the night away restlessly. I woke the next day feeling miserable and groggy. I even considered taking a sick day, but figured people would assume I was grieving about Tim. This will make me sound like a jerk, but I just couldn't let them think I was that affected by his death. I got in the elevator at the office's ground floor. I pressed 12, and the doors began to close. A hand shot between them at the last second and forced the doors back open, revealing... Lisa, standing on the other side. She didn't smile or acknowledge me at all. She still hadn't showered, was still wearing the same clothes, and still bore the stench of rotting meat. My heart raced as she stepped in and the elevator doors slid shut. The motor whirred to life, and with a small jerk, we began to ascend. I looked down at my feet as I considered what to say, or whether I should say anything at all. When the doors opened, I would go straight to HR and have them call 911, but first I had to survive the long minute in the elevator. Lisa's cacophony of stenches smelled so terrible I couldn't breathe. I felt like the ride was taking longer than usual, so I looked up at the numbers to find out where we were. My eyes never made it up that high. Halfway there, they caught Lisa's reflection in the elevator doors. She was smiling at me. Her smile split her cheeks so far back I could see her molars. Her nose was flat, her eyes were red. I jumped back and turned away from her reflection to look at the real Lisa. Her face was cold and expressionless. She didn't react at all to my sudden terror. I'll leave you alone, I whispered. In fact, I'll just leave, I'll go, 
You won't have to worry about me, okay? Now a smile cracked Lisa's real lips. Just a small, ordinary smile. She didn't look at me or say anything as she stepped out of the elevator on the 12th floor. I waited for the doors to close, then pressed 1. How do I summarize the events that followed that day? Well, Lisa's body was discovered in the woods just off a running trail she frequented. The medical examiner determined she had been dead for almost a week, meaning she had been dead before her brother, long before Tim, and even longer before my elevator ride with her Tuesday morning. Her doppelganger had vanished again before the police could arrive that day, and upon the discovery of Lisa's corpse, her evil twin was never seen again. What it had intended to do, or what it still might do, remains a mystery. I go to bed each night fearing it will reappear in my dreams. Whenever I walk, drive, or get on the train, I worry it will do to me whatever it did to Lisa's brother, and to Tim. And on top of the inconvenient, crippling anxiety she caused me, Lisa's doppelganger also made sure I can never eat ground beef again. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.